0: i'm sarah and this is
1: eerie Eerie encounters
0: Encounters. kind of almost there maybe one day so first off i think we should probably put out a little apology because we haven't been around for a couple of months so we had our big launch of the podcast back in october but since then we ended up getting sick
1: yeah completely my fault
0: i don't think it's your fault i think it's my husband's fault for some of it i mean I ended up with COVID, I had an infection and then unfortunately Christmas is always the time when it's always difficult because I run my own business and it's the time of year where you have to be out and selling and making and everything so I make dog accessories and yeah the podcast really had to take a bit of a back seat for that time and you haven't been so well and yeah, it's all been a bit up in the air at the moment, hasn't it? Yeah.
1: I'm actually currently doing this from hospital, so. <laughs> oh. But um I just love how Nick you avoided covid for about 3 years and then your husband gets it and gives it to you in a day.
0: <laughs> yep, 4 years, baby, and then yeah, he went and shared the love. Which is kind of fitting, I think. Isn't that a nice segue there? Shows the love? Considering this topic today is going to be all
1: about Valentine's Day. I see what you did there. Ah! (laughs) Very good.
0: Well, I try. I try. Sometimes it works. Most of the time it falls flat on its face.
1: So yeah, this is our Valentine's Day special. So, romance has always had a dark side. Something sinister. Possessive. Even fatal. ...lurks behind the desire to attract and to be attracted. For centuries, something spiritual, possibly even supernatural, has been suspected in the ways of love. Romance has been blamed on witchcraft, and something primitive about romance returns us to our lesser civilised forms. And for some of us, it is one of the few moments we genuinely sense our relationship to infinity and the realm of spirits... Consequently, romance has become one of the most prominent themes in gothic fiction, from Dracula to The Phantom of the Opera, from Witherin Heights to the poem The Raven, which I study with my students. To name a few.
0: I've never heard it, I don't think.
1: Edgar Allan Poe. It's dark. Is it?
0: I do like a dark romance.
1: Yeah, it's a good one. (laughs) Nothing bridges the gap as much and no genre is more capable of constructing these emotions quite so nimbly as the horror genre. There are often samples of some of the greatest romantic ghost stories and supernatural fictions from the golden age in horror. There are tales of ghostly highwaymen, resurrected vampires, deceased lovers returning from the grave and marriages between the ghost and the living. A relationship after breaking into haunted houses, attractions frustrated by hereditary curses, abductions by demon lovers, being taken over by possessive spirits, oppression by vengeful ghosts, or romantic waltzes with the Grim Reaper in female form. Revenge had by jilted lovers, revenge had by murdered rivals, and revenge had by deceased wives. Romances with revived Egyptian slave girls, romances with cursed mummies, and romances with enchanted portraits. We also have romances across dimensions of time and space, and tragedies involving poor communication between genres. Tragedies often involved hypnosis, and incidents involved unintended affairs, problems involving assault, oh and much, much more. If your valentine has a taste for the macabre and the romantic, pair a ghost story with your roses or your box of chocolates and make sure the chocolate is dark. Very dark. So, in supernatural horror, in literature, H.P. Lovecraft famously declared fear to be the oldest human emotion. So, without contesting that observation, I think Lovecraft And that messy tangle of desire, admiration, lust and possessiveness is almost certainly the second. After our basic needs have been met, our very next need is going to be emotional. The first for company and for understanding and belonging. In short, once our survival is no longer in question, the human spirit is most desperate for love. Love has left a deep impression in human culture, in art, literature, philosophy and religion. So while whole genres of films, stories and songs are devoted to this expression, some of the most critical human rights of passage, such as proms, weddings, balls, festivals, revolve around the celebration of love. Many of the most passionate and aggressive political battles of the past two centuries have involved debating the appropriateness of marginalised love and its expressions. And nearly every religion on earth have love as the most divine of human emotions, with the use of wedding ceremonies as a spirited way of connecting two lovers. We are permitted to briefly catch a glimpse of eternity, and yet, as even the most romantic among us are to recognise, love comes with a darkness as bleak as its light is illuminating. And love can be heaven, but it can just as easily... Be how.
0: And all those loved-up couples out there will be declaring their undying love to each other. Please, someone pass me the bucket (laughs) so I can vomit. (laughs) We thought we would come back and see. Maybe we should just express our undying love for each other.
1: Yeah. Yeah? Yeah, you can be my Valentine. (laughs) What are you hoping for this year, then? A lion
0: would be nice. (laughs) (laughs) I'm a simple girl. I don't want much. I just want sleep. It's a bit mean, isn't it? I just want some sleep. (laughs)
1: <laughs> I'll text Lawrence and let him know. So
0: most of this information comes from a variety of different sources. They'll all be in our show notes as per usual, but some of the places that I got this stuff from was history.com, The Pioneering Woman. There is also some NPR articles, Mental Floss articles. That it's all in there. We went to a lot of different places to find all this stuff. So I thought today with the subject that we should really go back in time and find out a little bit about the history of the day itself. Then maybe look at some of past traditions, traditions around the world, where I'm going to do a quiz for you to see if you can have a guess at some of the things that happen around the world and then go into some ghost stories associated with the day, but also maybe some heartbroken ghosts out there that are still looking for their true love, which... I think that's pretty sad, isn't it? With these poor little ghosts that are still trying to find Mr. or Mrs. Wright.
1: I'm far too emotional for this today.
0: It's all right. I'm hoping I'll start <laughs> to make you laugh soon. Particularly with some of the stuff that I've dug up. I mean, this is hilarious, some of the stuff. Nowadays, the Valentine's Day is associated with roses and hearts and love and all of the happiness associated with love. But Originally, this particular celebration may not be so happy. It was a bit on the bloody side. So, there's two reasons why, or they can't really identify when Valentine's Day started, like what was the origin story. But, there's two lines of thought. One is that it's as a result of the death of St. Valentine, and the other is as a result of the Romans. What would you like to hear first?
1: Let's go with
0: the Romans. Began with Romans. Good choice.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> they think that the whole thing with the Christian church coming in and trying to take over from traditional pagan festivals, we try and change things. Like, for example, we've got Christmas Day is in the middle of December or the end of December, which is meant to be a celebration of the equinox. And so this time of year february the 14th is a bit similar so back in roman era it was a feast day in the middle of february so about the 15th of february but it was a fertility festival which makes sense because of all of
1: the lovey-doveyness oh i read this somewhere
0: yeah it's called Lupercalia or Lupercalia, depending on where you are yeah
1: i also saw that word and thought now i spent a little me. time getting <laughs> the
0: internet to play like say it to me i'm like how do you say this come on tell me and so it's celebrated this fertility festival is dedicated to faunus the roman god of agriculture as well as the roman founders romulus and remus during this time, it was really interesting where there are feastings and then they pair up partners and it was a bit of a raucous celebration and it was filled with debauchery, blood and sacrifice. So this sounds like our kind of festival. Yep. I mean, where <laughs> is it? I want to sign up right now. That sounds better than all of the lovey-dovey stuff. I'm, g- I'm going to sound really bad, aren't I? I'm going to sound really mean about Valentine's Day in love. Members of the Luperci which is an order of Roman priests, would gather in a sacred cave where they thought that the influence Romulus and Remus were looked after by the she-wolf Looper. And the priests would then, in that cave at that time, they would sacrifice a goat for fertility and a dog for purification. Oh this my. part I disagree with. Just, why do you need sacrifices? I, I don't quite understand. The goat kind of probably bred for it. Not the dog, though. Bad Romans. Do not like that. But oh. then they would strip off the goat's skin and hide into strips. They would dip it into the sacrificial blood and then take to the streets gently, it says gently. I don't know how you really gently slap anyone, but gently slapping both women and crop fields with the goat hide. And this is meant to be
1: a sign that you would have good fertility the for the next year. me the with a goat's hide, I think that'll pretty much <laughs> with... be the deciding factor.
0: Yeah, slapping me anywhere... I'd be like, excuse me, back the hell off. But that's the reason why they think there is the red associated with Valentine's Day is because it's meant to
1: be. <laughs> or just your blood so bum afterwards. Who
0: knows? Maybe, maybe. I mean, pretty. It sounds like <laughs> fun until the blood part comes in. I mean, the debauchery, the feasting, yeah, I could get on board with that, but the blood slapping. <laughs> the blood is where nah, I draw the line. You can keep that. <laughs> Doesn't take a lot. The blood get that on a t-shirt. The, the level that I can get to. Yeah, the blood is the level. What, what, <laughs> what should we say? I draw the line at blood.
1: Yeah.
0: I mean, that'd be quite a good t-shirt. So later on, on this day, the city would then place their names into like a big urn and the city's bachelors would each choose a name and come paired up and those matches would often end in marriage. <laughs> so it's the early days of Tinder. Or E Harmony, or what other ones are out there? Plenty of fish, and it's the, it's the early dating. Yeah. I mean, how cool would that be? Whack your name in it, and earn. dude <laughs> comes along, picks your name out. They move awesome, fast you're
1: in Roman times. I mean,
0: that sounds way better. Well, you know, they don't have a good life expectancy. They're gonna yeah, you never get know some when stuff you're gonna done, be done before they die. Next. Exactly. Someone could come along, take them out. <laughs> But I mean, okay, makes sense. You can kind of understand where it might come together as a festival and be related to Valentine's Day. But then the Christians came along and but said, you know what, Christians. no, you're having too much fun. Sounds a bit rude. <laughs> Sounds a bit rude, doesn't it, to the Christians? Sorry, everyone out there. But the Christians said, you know what, no, this is too pagan for us. We cannot deal with this we need to change it so in the 5th century pope Gellius declared that february the 14th was Saint valentine's day but as a result of that he outlawed lupressi and the association of the day being with love wasn't really coming into full effect until the middle ages so that is one of the origin stories but as i say draw the line at blood isn't it i mean i can you can start to see some of the parallels i mean it you have a nice meal together with someone. You have red roses, all that kind of stuff. And, yeah, I can kind of start to see the parallels between the two. And, I mean, the other one, or the other thought, is that it is as a result of St. Valentine. I know that he had so do you amethyst know much St Saint Valentine? but that's about it. I do love a bit of amethyst. Purple is my favourite yeah, colour. So, yeah, I'll have a bit of that. Exactly exactly so the thought is that that there were two ah. distinct people that could have been saint valentine so it's thought to be celebrated in the middle of february to commemorate the anniversary of valentine's death or burial which occurred around ad 270 they think and others believe that the christian church may have decided to place saint valentine's feast day in the middle of february in an effort as i say to christianize lupercalia there it is thought that he is definitely a martyr whoever this man particularly was so we can safely say that but they're not sure which saint valentine they are referring to so the first story we've got or there's two stories the first story all both stories are because of emperor claudius ii of rome who executed two different men named valentine on february the 14th the kicker is it occurred in two different years but in the same century which was the third century the first story of St. Valentine says that he was a priest who was arrested because he was defying a decree that forbade soldiers from marrying. And as a result of that, he was executed for the crime of continuing to yeah. render those lovers in secret, which I think is quite sweet. And the second story of St. Valentine is that it was all to do with an imprisoned priest who fell in love with one of his visitors and began writing letters to her. And according to history.com, the priest supposedly sent the woman a letter before his execution ah. that signed off from your valentine. So there's two options. Neither of them can be verified. So it's either one or the other, or it could even be a bit of both. I mean, it could be that they've pulled them apart and put them back together wrong. It's interesting.
1: Isn't it? You can see where we have the modern-day valentines. Yeah. And just like most things, we've turned it into a bit of a money-making scheme.
0: Oh, of course. It's got to have some money (laughs) associated with it. Christmas, Easter, any holiday, you've got to show us the money.
1: (laughs) Also, a tradition that first started from the common beliefs in France and England that birds started their mating season on February the 14th. So, Cupid also has its roots in Greek mythology. So he's this charming cherub that appears on Valentine's cards, often depicted with a bow and arrow. But how did Cupid become a common symbol of Valentine's Day? According to time, the figure can actually be traced all the way back 700 BC to the Greek god of love, Eros. He was actually a handsome, immortal man with the intimidating power to make people fall in love. It wasn't until the 4th century BC that the Romans adopted the image of a cute little boy of bow and arrow and named him Cupid. By the turn of the 19th century, Cupid had become linked to Valentine's Day due to his love-making powers. So, the first Valentine's Day was actually sent in the 15th century. So this is the oldest record of a Valentine's being sent, again according to history.com. It was a poem written by a French medieval duke named Charles to his wife in 1415. Charles penned this sweet note to his lover while he was actually imprisoned in the Tower of London. He was only 21 years old. Oh, baby. I know. One of the lines in the poem said, I'm already sick of love, my very gentle Valentine. Which is so sweet. There's something really romantic about how people used to speak, I think. Not until the 1840s did we get the first mass-produced Valentine's Day, however. People started exchanging cards and handwritten letters to both lovers and friends during the 17th century. But it was in the 1840s that the first Valentine's Day cards were mass-produced, especially in the UK and the US. It was sold by Esther A. Howland, known as the Mother of American Valentine. Howland is created with a commercializing Valentine's Day card in America, and she's remembered for her elaborate, crafty cards made from lace and ribbon. Sounds like someone we'd get along with. (laughs) The tradition of giving Valentine's Day flowers dates back to the 17th century. Given red roses, may be an obvious romantic gesture today, but it wasn't until the seventeenth century that given flowers became a popular custom. Now, red roses are my favourite hint hint. Anyone listening. <laughs> In fact, the practice can be traced back to when King Charles II of Sweden learned the language of flowers, which pairs different flowers with specific meanings on a trip to Persia. And subsequently introduced the tradition to Europe. The act of giving flowers then became a popular trend during the Victorian era, including on Valentine's Day with red roses symbolizing love, which I just think is beautiful. Nearly 250 million roses are grown in preparation for Valentine's Day each year. There is a science to ensure that there are enough fresh roses to go around when it comes to February the 14th. In an effort to provide the flowers for the holiday, countries including Ecuador, Kenya or Colombia ship the roses across the world when they do not grow in colder climates. The colour of roses and the colour of flowers given on Valentine's Day hold meaning. So while red rose has traditionally symbolised love, other colours, like deep pink, purple or white, symbolise happiness, royalty and sympathy. Oh. And they may also be given on other holidays too. So just looking at America, America sends 145 million Valentine's Day cards each year. Wow. So that's very busy if you're a postman. So, according to Hallmark, a whopping 155 million Valentine's Day cards are exchanged every February. And that's not even including all those kids that exchange Valentine's in the classroom. So, this makes Valentine's Day the second biggest holiday for exchanging a greeting card. Of course, after Christmas. So, apparently... Now, I don't agree with this. Teachers receive the most Valentine's Day cards. <laughs> yeah. I haven't seen this. It's followed by children. Yeah, children do swap them quite a bit. Needless to say, we've come a long way since 1913. Which is when the Hallmite Cards first produced their first Valentine's Day card. So, originally... In the 19th century, booklets were created to help people write a Valentine's Day card. So they
0: literally had, like, a manual on how to do this. written (laughs) instructions.
1: Yeah. Love it. So if you needed help finding the right words to send to your loved ones, you could purchase a Valentine's writer. So these were booklets which contained samples of text that you could use to express your love. So... Yeah, a bit of a helping hand (laughs) if words
0: don't come naturally. I guess it also means that you'll send this fantastic card with this message and the recipient will be like, oh my goodness, this person really, really loves me. They're expressing their love for me in such eloquent way. And then you realise that actually they stole it from a book.
1: (laughs) (laughs) So apparently we also spend millions on our pets. Oh yes, I do. Which I'm sure. In fairness, we can both get behind. So, fairy friends need love too. They do. So, around 27.6 million households gave Valentine's Day cards or presents to their pets in 2020. And more than 17.1 million picked up gifts for their cats. Aww. All in all, many, many households spent an estimated $751.3 for gifts on their
0: pets. Wow. Next year, people, come to me. I can sort you out with some gifts for pets.
1: Oh, so unsurprisingly, sweets and chocolate are the most popular gift to give. And according to the National Retail Federation, most people will give sweets... And greeting cards to their loved ones Although many also spend money on flowers, gift cards and clothing But the biggest expense is actually jewellery and activities Oh well there you go, so they will come to, get to, on to you on for that.
0: the next
1: Yeah They'll come for you for the jewellery and they'll
0: come to me for the dog stuff <laughs> Alfie will
1: be happy <laughs> So the first heart-shaped box of chocolates was introduced in 1861 and it was created by Richard Cadbury, son of the Cadbury founder, John Cadbury, who started packaging chocolates in fancy boxes to increase sales. Have you ever been to Cadbury's world? Oh, I have. I was a bit disappointed because I thought it was going to be like Charlie and the Chocolate Factory. It was definitely not Willy Wonka
0: and Charlie and the yeah. Chocolate Factory. There were no rivers made out of chocolate. There was not, and there's no Oompa Loompas and it's just lots of people in white coats with hairnets.
1: Yeah But you
0: get lots of chocolates So
1: Well that is true <laughs> So he introduced the first heart-shaped box of chocolates For Valentine's Day in 1861 And today more than 36 million heart-shaped boxes of chocolates are sold each year
0: 36 million So
1: yeah That wow. is actually 58 million pounds of chocolate Which sounds like heaven Send some my way Yeah So, you know Love Hearts? Yeah. They actually started off as a medical lozenge. Really? Yeah. So, weirdly enough, the story of Love Hearts first began when a Boston pharmacist called Oliver Chase invented a machine that simplified the way medical lozenge was used for sore throats and other illnesses. The result was America's first candy-making machine. And because the pharmacist soon started shifting his focus from making lozenges to candy, he found that the New England confectionery company, or Neko, and then the um, candy lozenge soon became what we know today. So, yeah. I did not know that. That's where I'm next time I have a sore throat, I'm gonna try eating sweets.
0: I'll be sending you a load of love hearts. <laughs>
1: But it wasn't until 1866 that we ended up with those messages sort of printed on them. Oh, you know the be mine. Like, kiss me, hug me, yeah. that kind of thing. So it was actually Oliver's brother, Daniel Chase, who started printing those sentimental messages on the heart. What, when they
0: decided that they were no good for being medicinal? Yeah. <laughs> these aren't that good. Let's do something different with them. We've got to sell them somehow.
1: So these are the same versions that we have today. And featured much longer phrases such as, married in white, you have chosen right. How long should I have to wait? Or, please be considerate. So, yeah, I'm not sure how they fit the word considerate on those tiny hearts. Also, the but, married hey, in
0: white thing. I mean, ooh, that's a bit mean, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> what are they getting up there?
1: So... More than 8 billion conversation hearts as they were called first of all are manufactured each year and Neko has to make them all year round. Each box has approximately 45 sayings including true love, hug me, you rock but you can also personalise your own. But don't worry if you still have last year's box they have a shelf life of 5 years.
0: Now if you're saving them for 5 years I mean we can't be friends.
1: <laughs> and did you know during 2019 there was a national shortage of love hearts? <gasps> That's shocking. Oh I know of all the things to run out of. So Neko actually went out of business in 2018 and it's because then of the, sold yeah and actually sold the rights to the love hearts. To the um candy company Sprangler, uh, which also created the Dum Dum lollipops. I have no idea what that is. If you're American, write in and tell us. <laughs> yeah. So due to the new manufacturing needs, um, they were unable to produce eight million of the candy hearts for two thousand nineteen. Hence the sort of shortage. Now, there are lots of manufacturing challenges and unanswered questions at this point. We want to make sure that these brands meet consumer expectations when they re-enter the market. So that was what the CEO of the company said.
0: Okay, I'll let him have that.
1: <laughs> yeah, yeah, makes yeah, slight sense. going to go buy a packet, I think, just in case there's <laughs> another shortage. Then we can sell them and make millions. would be like the toilet roll <laughs> during COVID all over again. So, words of encouragement were added to the hearts in 2022, so really recently. So, these had um, phrases such as, way to go, and crush it, and high five. Oh, I like those. I know. I think
0: that's a good addition.
1: <laughs> yeah. So, one of the most popular things that happen on Valentine's Day, you know, unsurprisingly, are proposals. So. Is there really a better day for a marriage proposal than literally the day that's dedicated to love moments?
0: I would propose any other day. Just saying.
1: <laughs> well, Christmas Day and New Year's Day. Yeah, again, see most people pop in the big question. Valentine's Day is also a huge one. Yeah, no. So a survey showed that many would have loved to have gotten engaged on Valentine's Day. I don't know if I would have wanted it. It just seems a little bit, a bit cliche, too obvious. Yeah, I'd much rather be on a nice beach somewhere.
0: Exactly, and there's not many beaches in February. Yes, <laughs> yes. unless you go to the uh, the the southern hemisphere, and that takes a while.
1: Or a spooky
0: castle. Oh yeah, that that would work.
1: <laughs> so many Latin American countries know the holiday as. El día de los amores I'm not saying that again. Clearly I'm not Mexican. Which means the day of lovers. Or, oh. Día de amor Y La Emistad Which means the day of love and friendship. I completely, brutally murdered that. So sorry. Number one, el día de San Valentín. This matches up with English pretty well and more literally means the day of St. Valentine. Number two, el día de los enamorados. This more literally means the day of those who are in love. Number three, el día del amor y amistad. The day
0: of love and friendship. There you have it. Three different ways to say Valentine's Day in
1: Spanish. Uh, So this is when couples exchange flowers and chocolates. And the holiday focuses on the gratitude of friends, which I love.
0: Oh, I appreciate you and there is gratitude there for you. Yeah,
1: so. you too. So in Japan, it's customary for the women to give confections to the men nah, in their lives. Nah. Not so liking that so much. And the quality of the chocolate included indicates their true feelings.
0: Really? So if you've got the
1: cheapy, nasty
0: stuff. Yeah,
1: so. <laughs> It's apparently supposed to resemble fortune. So, it gets better. Exactly a month later, on March the 14th, the men are meant to repay the favour by celebrating the increasing popular White Day. What do you get for that? So, I'm assuming they then give presents. So, (laughs) you'll like this one. Valentine's Day Horrors... Are actually a thing.
0: Excellent.
1: Yeah. So again, think of my bloody Valentine. Brilliant. Oh, which it's got written here. So some people prefer to get their hearts rates up by watching a scary film. So the popular nineteen eighty one, which we mentioned, my bloody Valentine, is just one of many. And I know when um. You send messages, do you do the XOs afterwards?
0: Me, no, not really.
1: They didn't always mean hugs and kisses. Did
0: it not? What did it mean?
1: No. So actually this originated from the Middle Ages, which is so much earlier than I thought it was. And the Washington Post reports that during this time, the X symbolised the Christian cross and the letters ending with the sign of the cross and a kiss to symbolise an oath so it was basically sort of saying that i would always love you
0: oh okay it's not as bad i know as I thought which it is
1: was. adorable as the jester became more popular in literature letters and paperwork it then gained the meaning of sealed with a kiss oh lovebirds are actual birds yeah so while the term lovebirds have become popular in figures of speech it also is the common name, now again I'm gonna murder this, for the agapornis bird. So this is a type of parrot that's native to Africa and can be found through the eastern and southern regions. So this animal typically travels in pairs, which is why many couples are referred to as lovebirds. Oh, I know, that's so sweet. Okay, sh- I'm getting behind this one. Did you know there's actually an official valentine's day for singles
0: well there you go bring it on yeah
1: and it's called international quirk alone day <laughs> yeah true story and this is a holiday for single people and it's on the same dates so of february the 14th and this holiday isn't an anti-valentine's day but rather a moment to celebrate self-love and platonic relationships And it's the International Quirky Alone Day that has been celebrated globally since 2003. Why have I not heard of this before?
0: Well, it's something there for you to get behind and celebrate.
1: Okay, now this one I like. It's the teacher in me. So, actually, William Shakespeare inspired this tradition. So, when writing letters to Juliet, and this has become a Valentine's Day tradition for many and even inspired the twenty ten film Let us to Juliet. So around Valentine's Day, thousands of letters are sent to Verona, Italy, and are addressed to Romeo and Juliet's character, Juliet Capulet. So these love letters to Juliet are filled with emotion, passion, and in very many cases heartbreak volunteers called Juliet's secretaries I read through each letter write a response and pick a winner of the cara giluetta again my italian's pretty diabolical which translates to dear juliet put your teeth in sarah <laughs> um so the winner gets to visit juliet's home in verona and attend a special ceremony. Now, I've actually been to Juliet's home in Verona, have and it you? has a balcony, like in Romeo and Juliet. Aww. Yeah, I'm not quite sure how Romeo would have climbed up it, though.
0: Well, he was agile, wasn't he? Like <laughs>
1: young. <laughs> and the other thing I found out was that Juliet's actually only 14. 13, 14, Yeah. Yeah. Pretty sure that's legal. Maybe it was legal back then. It's definitely yeah, not anymore. Four states in America actually have a city named Valentine's. So you have Arizona, Nebraska, Texas and Virginia. They all have a city that's called Valentine. Aww. Although Virginia adds an s on the end so it's Valentine's. Aww. And apparently in Virginia and Texas you can get special holiday postmarks at the post office. Oh, that's even nicer. Oh, no. We don't do that, So, yeah, that is my random, but no less love-filled facts about Valentine's Day.
0: And I love all of them. So, I thought next, because we've done history, we should go and have a look at some old Valentine's traditions. There was quite a lot of options for this, but I picked out the ones that I thought would be most interesting to everyone. So, it's from the Mental Floss article about old-timey Valentine's Day traditions, so, the first one using birds to predict a future spouse. What? <laughs> like that, what? What? So, they used othornomancy, which is a bit of a, a mouthful, and I don't know if I've actually pronounced that correct. But or- orthornomancy is a way of reading omens by watching the actions of birds, including how they fly and their cries. And using those, you can then predict the future. And this was done by the ancient Greeks and Romans.
1: I need to try this.
0: I mean, how more, much more perfect can you get for this podcast? Yes, we'll have some of that. Someone's got to do this for us. So in folklore, as folklore evolved, people took on the superstition that the first bird an unmarried woman saw on Valentine's Day was a symbol of the kind of man she would marry. Now, I've got some different birds, and I'm going to ask you what you think each bird represents oh okay so if you saw a swan on valentine's day as an unmarried woman what do you think that would predict in your future partner
1: um i guess sort of almost (laughs) like royal innocent because of it being white yeah i think they mate for life so yeah. A life
0: partner? Yeah. So it's predicted that the, you would have a loyal partner for life if you saw a swan.
1: Oh, oh I'm good at this. You are. Who know I spoke birth? <laughs> well, maybe you're a secret ornithomancer.
0: <laughs> and you haven't been telling us. I can't us. even say that, no, let I, alone do it. I'm so. having issues. I've said it about ten different ways. Who knows what it is. So, what do you think a dove means, if you saw a dove?
1: Um, A symbol of peace. Yep. So maybe a partner that you're not going to fall out with?
0: They thought in the Greek and Roman times that you would marry a kind-hearted person. So you were almost there. You are pretty much there. Oh. And then what about a blackbird? Oh, Think of the colour.
1: Yeah, black tends to represent negative things. So maybe it's not going to last very long.
0: <laughs> it's actually to do with the clergy and someone who does spiritual and charitable work. So I don't know. Oh. I'm never going to have. Maybe them. they're not going to last. <laughs> well, we've already upset Christians anyway, or I <laughs> That's have just
1: because upset the whole bunch.
0: Anyone else? Yeah, anyone else I can upset in this time? <laughs> sorry, people. Sorry. So another one is penning a vinegar valentine. What? A bit of a mouthful. That one. What do you think a vinegar valentine is? I have
1: no idea.
0: So this was victorians and good old victorians you know how they like a bit of emotional expression but behind closed doors they're a bit more reserved than maybe we are today a vinegar valentine was actually
1: hate mail oh early troll
0: <laughs> isn't it yeah so a vinegar valentine was a handy way to rid yourselves of unwanted romantic attention nasty notes didn't smell of vinegar in the same way a love letter may have had a perfume smell but they certainly were sour the authors would outline all the things they loathed about the recipient alongside a caricature illustration huh. victorians are harsh but
1: well, i think they might have been onto something
0: <laughs> should we start seeing if we can send some vinegar valentines so yeah it's not all about the love so
1: i think i could get on board with this did i tell you i got trolled Did you? Yeah. How rude. I know. Apparently she was a witch and she put a curse on me. So, yeah, hardcore.
0: Well, if anything happens, I'll be giving you the old side-eye there going, is it the (laughs) curse? So, another thing that used to happen for the Victorians. So, not only did they pen these feisty vinegar valentines they also made crafts associated with valentine's day and they would create cute origami like folded paper puzzles called puzzle purses
1: Ah, were they those ones you used to make at
0: school i think it's something similar because i looked up and i'll put this a picture into the social medias of this particular episode but it's it's all folded so it's out of one sheet of paper and it's folded intricately into like a square but Made of triangles and each of those different corners are numbered so it gives a particular message as you read it in the order that it's numbered in and then the final message or illustration is in the centre of this particular origami puzzle piece isn't that beautiful yeah nice than the ones I my reckon... students make
1: because normally they're insulting
0: yeah the ones where you kind of do the say the color and spell out the color and open and close something and then yeah you lift up the flap and it's like you have a big nose or
1: something. <laughs> you smell and you're like thanks yeah
0: <laughs> i didn't want to tell you this but or if it would be my nephew like nicole you have a big bottom thanks <laughs> i love you too nephew it saved me this week, so um, I'm quite happy that I've got a big bum. Thanks very
1: much. Yeah, all the more to land on.
0: Exactly, exactly. So, yeah, I mean, it wasn't just us Brits that sent those out. There's also some examples of uh, the Americans doing the same thing, and they have ended up in auctions selling for about 6000 to $8,000. Oh,
1: my
0: goodness. Yeah, isn't that? Sounds pretty cool, being able to read this as, like, someone in the 21st century and yeah seeing what they wrote to each other back then but it was very very tame not like the dating apps of today
1: no marriage proposals then
0: it might have been they could have done marriage proposals using these and so the final thing that again i thought was nice and spooky for this podcast was looking for love omens in a cemetery as you do well gotta use them for something <laughs> <laughs> so this particular superstition traditionally young people would head to the graveyard on valentine's day and according to arthur lee eric schmidt where the love-struck kids would look for signs and omens at midnight to guess up who their beloved would be ooh. the exciting bit the ghost stories associated with the day and the different stories of ghosts trying to find their love ooh, ooh. this is the bit that i'm sure you have been looking forward to so we have something at a place called muncaster castle and this particular one relates to the tales of tom skelton nicknamed tom fool the jester who lived in the castle so everyone knows we love a good castle one night tom beheaded a local carpenter with his own axe some say at the behest of his lord and master and who was unhappy with the carpenter's interest in his daughter. I can understand that you might get a little upset if the carpenter was coveting your daughter, but maybe a little extreme to go and send your jester to chop off his head. Probably not the best way to deal with the situation. Maybe a conversation. And so, to this day, Tom's spirit haunts the castle and plays tricks on people that are visiting. Not only is there this murder about love, there is another one which took place in the castle. And this is the murder of Mary Bragg, the housekeeper from the village. And the housekeeper was deeply in love with one of the footmen at the castle. One evening, two men lured her from her home, claiming that her true love was ill. Which sounds pretty sad. you reply, like, oh, I'm a bit worried now. I've got to go see him, make sure he's all right. But this wasn't true. And she was murdered near the main gate and her body was found floating in the river Esk. And she is now known as the White Lady and she's said to be seen haunting the gardens and the road outside the castle. Isn't that sad? Yeah. Okay, so the next story is about Croydon Woods, so a bit closer to home for us. It's only round the corner. But this is about the husband who searches Croydon Woods for his wife. So it's said that there is the ghost of Digger Harry haunting the woodland in Croydon to this very day because of a tragic love story. Did you say Digger Harry? Yep, his name is Digger Harry. So yes, the ghost of Digger Harry is said to haunt the woodland in Croydon to this very day. People have seen him and it's really a tragic love story which apparently involved him being a heartbroken man and his dead wife. So it is thought a few hundred years ago, a man named Harry or Digger Harry and his wife lived in a remote cottage in a woodland off Court Wood Lane, Addington. These woods are now known as Bearswood and was popular among locals and acted as a route between Addington and Sanderstead to Selsden. So it's a bit of a cut through, this particular wood. And one day, Harry's wife died of old age in the couple's home. So that's pretty sad. Harry was obviously devastated by this, but he, he couldn't bear to be parted from his wife. So instead, he buried her body near their home in the woods. So he wanted to be near his wife. Isn't that cute? I mean, aww. But people began to ask, and eventually police investigated her disappearance. Harry was then apparently arrested because they thought that he had murdered his wife. After refusing to tell the police where his wife's body was, he was thrown in jail. Oh. After a short... Yeah, they were like, you're in jail. But after a short time behind bars, he was released due to his old age. He returned to his home, but try as hard as he could, Harry couldn't remember where he buried his wife's body, and died still being unable to locate it.
1: That's so sad.
0: Yeah, isn't it? So in the years after his death, locals have reported seeing Harry's ghost wandering the woods with a spade over his shoulder, which is where the title digger Harry comes from.
1: Ah, I get it now.
0: Yes, and with a spade and he's looking for his wife's grave. He's reportedly last been seen wandering in the woods by a group of scouts, but that was a shock for them. And it's thought that Digger Harry's ghost hasn't been seen for several years, but be aware when you next decide to walk through Bears Wood. I think we need to go to visit. I was
1: just about to say that.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I got that. uh, And then the next story is The Valentine's Ghost, and this is in Sefton Park in Liverpool. And this seems to be quite a big one. And so I took this information from the website Dark Victoria, And so I will make sure that they're credited in the show notes. And so this one is or says that at midnight on Thursday, the 14th of February in 1867, two lovers stood on the bridge in Sefton Park, Liverpool. Their names were William Roberts and Alice Harwood. And they both knew that they very soon they would be going their separate ways through life because William's stern parents had told him that he had to marry someone else. Alice just wasn't the one for him. So his parents were making him marry a wealthy heiress. So upon the bridge at midnight, as the distant clock chimed the 12th hour, William tearfully told Alice that their three-year affair would have to end for the sake of his future bride. Because, you know, you've got to always be worried about your future bride, not the fact that you've just spent three years with another woman. (laughs) Alice said nothing in reply, then she suddenly turned kissed him and closed her eyes as the tears streamed out of them. Before parting, Alice said in a trembling voice, Grant me one last favour, the only one I will ask you for on this earth. So William waited for the request. She said, promise to meet me here 12 months from tonight at this same hour. William wasn't keen on that suggestion, but somehow deep in his tormented heart, he knew that he had to see his first real love one more time. He said. I will come. The year dragged by and exactly 12 months later William and Alice reunited at the bridge. But William told Alice that he was now married and no longer cared for her in a romantic way. Pretty harsh. Ouch. Yeah, that's going to be a bit of a kick in the teeth. Like, thanks William. Anyway, despite William's frank admission Alice was still deeply in love with him and before they parted she begged him for one further final reunion at the bridge in a year's time again on February the Fourteenth at midnight, William said that would be possible that would be impossible, as he certainly had no intentions of jeopardizing the loyal relationship he was enjoying with his now wife. but Alice started to sob and reminded him of the promise they had made to each other during their long affair to stay together. William reluctantly agrees to one more meeting, and only one, and as before, they both failed to turn up at the bridge. February the 14th, the next year at midnight. In February 1869, William was involved in a shooting accident and suffered a leg injury which left him unable to walk without the aid of crutches. But, because he'd had this pre-arranged meeting, William wondered how he could possibly get to the bridge on his crutches and even considered postponing the journey. But he was a man who was true to his word. He decided that he was going to the park bridge. He got his old trusted servant, Bob who had already had knowledge of this affair, it got him to agree to get William to the park bridge. They arrived at the bridge and old Bob watched William walk unsteadily on his crutches until he reached the middle of the bridge. And so, William then stood there, waiting patiently for Alice to arrive. William shouted to Bob, What on earth am I doing standing here upon this bridge in the freezing night waiting for a girl who I do not care for anymore? Again, ouch! William, seriously, dude. Old Bob wisely stayed silent as the clock in the distance started chiming midnight and the approaching figure of Alice was suddenly visible at the end of the bridge. Needless to say, William was very happy to see her, or at least he was like about time that she's turned up, and Alice reached him but showed no signs of slowing her pace. So to stop her walking past him, William instinctively tried to embrace the girl. As he suspected that his insensitive comments had upset her. Really, William? Well You really think
1: that I mean At least you finally clued on.
0: Yeah, dude, come on. But his arms passed right through her. Alice glanced back at the astonished William, and with a terrible look of sorrow in her eyes she whispered, I will always love you. William trembled as he watched Alice continuing her walk to the end of the bridge, where she disappeared in plain sight of old Bob. On the following day, William visited Alice's family and told them of the strange encounter. Alice's parents looked at each other and Mrs. Harwood broke down and sobbed.
1: Oh no, I think I know where this is going. Yeah, you
0: were probably very right. So the father then told William that his daughter had died from a fever last night shortly before midnight. At this, William almost fainted when he heard the dreadful news. The nurse who had attended Alice during her final hours then said that upon the girl's deathbed she had constantly repeated the words dead or alive I must go to the bridge to see William. I must tell him that I love him. So it is said that every year at midnight on February the 14th the lonely loyal ghost of Alice Harwood is seen crossing that bridge in Sefton Park in Liverpool. Still apparently hoping to meet her long dead lover. And as recently as May 2001, a park ranger said he saw a beautiful, young, outdated-looking woman, Harsh, strolling through the park with a parasol. As she crossed the bridge, the lady vanished into thin air. Oh, wow, that's really recent. So, yeah, 2001. When we say that, that's really recent. You know that's, like, 23 years ago. I know, it's
1: recent for me. (laughs) I was alive.
0: (laughs) I, I do that too now. I'm like, oh, my goodness, that's really, that's yeah if it's if it's got 20 to, at the beginning you're like yeah that's actually really recent that's this entry. <laughs> so yeah i'm gonna be my skeptical self and go why is she strolling with a parasol at midnight
1: i guess it's residual she's it's like a tape player so yeah. doing that last you
0: reckon while. but the all the other times that they met were at midnight too
1: yeah maybe it's residual it's just like she's that's what she knew and that was when she was at her happiest before she met him and she thought that they maybe, had a future together.
0: Maybe. But yeah, I just question why has she got a parasol and why is she strolling along through the park like she hasn't got a care in the world. <laughs> if she was looking for someone that she thought she'd lost, why isn't she kind of rushing to get to him? Why is she carrying a parasol when it's midnight and the chimes are meant to be tolling and stuff?
1: Yeah, good point. I don't know, oh.
0: I'm just being sceptical me.
1: Love hurts. Doesn't it? I know, I'm never going to look at it the same way. And we promise that we will get on top of this yes. podcast and actually put some episodes out. I mean, as Nick said, we've both had a bit of a rough time with it, what we've been poorly, but um, I'm stuck in hospital, so I can't go anywhere. So, yeah, I think this will be hopefully keep me sane. I'm going to chain her to the floor to get her to record. <laughs> I don't need any encouragement. Talking about ghosts well, is like my favourite thing to do. We've got plenty of time to do it. I must say, I'm really, really st- sorry, but I'm stuttering a bit at the moment because I had a bit of a knock to the head. So <laughs> Slightly accident-prone. Well, yeah,
0: you have keep falling over. I fell out the door, which was quite funny because the dog just <laughs> looked at me and was like, why are you sat down there? Oh, I'll sit with you.
1: And they just oh, sat on top me of me. you the picture and you just got your bum in the air. <laughs>
0: yeah. I'm like, look, just went flying. Oh, dear. Trust us. If you have any ideas on what you'd like to have us cover, if you have any stories, you can find us at our website, which is eerie-encounters.co.uk. You can also find us on all the social media. So we're on Facebook and Instagram mainly. If you'd like to email us, you can send anything to podcast at eerie-encounters.co.uk. Well,
1: my dear, lovely to speak to you. Yeah,
0: until next time, I'm Nick. And I'm still Sarah. And this was Eerie Eerie Encounters. Encounters. Spooky.
1: (laughs) Sweet dreams. Oh, that's mean.